This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. And welcome to Ian Weekly. This is your host, Todd DeVoe. And of course, we always have co-host Daniel Scott with us. Dan, how are you doing this morning? Doing well. Good morning. Awesome. Hey, so we're going to be talking uh, about ethos preparedness and ethos. What's that mean right now? So ethos, I took a look at it and I got the definition um, from the philosophy dictionary here. And it says it's used to mean convincing an audience uh, via authority, credibility, and persuader. And it's also notable experience in the figure, like say somebody who's a popular celebrity, and it's also ethics. And so ethos preparedness provides innovative equipment and supplies, uh, collaborative consultations, and um, unwavering commitment to their customers and improving emergency outcomes for thousands of organizations, families, and individuals around the world. And today we're happy to have the CEO of the organization, Charles Mollinger. Charles, welcome to the show. Hey, Todd. Dan, thanks for having me today. I appreciate it, guys. Good morning. So, all right, Charles, toughest question of the day. Why ethos? Yeah. So I guess it depends on what what the what you mean by the question. Why did we name it ethos? Is that what you mean? Both. Like why 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 did we name it ethos and, and why did you guys start? Sure. So I'll start with the the former and and that well. I kind of I enjoy philosophy, so I, I like studying ethos, pathos, logos. Um, but when when I originally took on this entrepreneurial pursuit, I, I acquired the business called MedSled. MedSled, we we do final assembly and manufacturing of medical evacuation devices. And the slogan for that company was "No one left behind." And when I had to rename the 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 legal entity. I thought of ethos because of uh, my my veteran status. I'm a U.S. Army veteran, and part of the warrior ethos in the U.S. Army, one of the line items in that is never leave a fallen comrade, and that that really resonated with me. And the logo and the the mantra of med sled of no one left behind forced me to think of calling it ethos evacuation strategies. And since then, we have actually rebranded the company to Ethos Preparedness as we have increased our product offering and services. Um, but, you know, for me, what, what we are trying to do with Ethos is very similar to the definition that you read. It's, it's a level of persuasion. It's a level of trying to, to get normal human beings, normal folk, organizations, individuals, and families to take preparedness seriously and not look at it as a only something that tactical preppers do in the wilderness, but that it's something you do at the household or something that you do in the office and something that people think about consistently as opposed to uh, putting it in the back of your mind. And that's, that's really what our mission is. Our mission is inspiring preparedness to save lives. That's a great mission. And we're going to get into a little bit about preparedness in general and, and why it's important and, and how we as emergency managers can, can really make or not make, I guess we can't force anybody to do anything, but really persuade um, using the ethos terminology, um, our residents and, and our business partners to be prepared for disasters and why it's important. But before we get into that, I, I want to ask one more question about the company in general. 
And I noticed on your website that not only do you sell consulting and, and products, if you will, but you also give back to the community. And it looks like that over the time you've raised $177,891. Tell me a little bit more about that give back program. And also you guys go out and do, you could put on the ground too and, and do some stuff as well. Talk a little bit about that. I'd like to learn more. Sure. So I'll back up a little bit. Um, about eight months ago, we made an add-on acquisition and we, we bought the, the Red Fora company based out of San Francisco. Red Fora is a, a leading online marketplace for emergency kits and supplies. And part of their platform was uh, Red Fora Relief and donating a portion of their proceeds to uh, disaster relief, disaster victims, and uh, worthwhile prevention projects. And we have taken that under the ethos umbrella, and uh, we call it ethos relief now. On the Red Forest side, we still call it Red Forest relief. But at the end of the day, really what we want to accomplish is when people partner with us and decide to spend money with us, part of that, part of that money is actually going to go back to the community. Um, we are a very community-driven organization. We, we like partnering with communities. We like partnering with organizations and making sure that they know that when they, when they work with us, on the flip side of that, there's more work coming from our business and our organization to give back to the community. And we, we've been lucky. Um, we, we are a profitable business, so we're able to, to provide back to the community. Some examples in 2020, we've donated um, lots of masks and gloves to, to hospitals in the hardest hit COVID areas like San Francisco and New York. We've worked with uh, Feeding, it, Feeding America. We've worked with All Hands and Hearts. Um, so we like partnering with organizations that we think are doing it, doing very good work. And we like partnering with businesses and people that just need support with, uh, with, with some things that are going on in their lives. I mean, I like, I like the, the, you know, how much you guys are, you know, giving back to the community. And I like the, 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 the intention of, of your organization, as far as persuading others with, with COVID, it, you know, it's been, it's a worldwide, you know, worldwide event. And it, with, especially within the U.S., though, we, we have, the, we see that we're not prepared at the most basic level. So what, what, what steps, what strategies are you implementing so that you can persuade and influence those at the, at the basic level to then be prepared? Yeah, that's a great question. So part of what we do, we obviously sell equipment and supplies. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Having what you need is important. But I think the most important part of what we do is, is that side of persuasion. Uh, we recently brought on a team member named Steve Eberline, and he leads our corporate engagement platform. So he gets in front of businesses and large audiences and communities and, and really spurs that preparedness persuasion and getting people to really think about what it means to be prepared outside of some of the, the tactics. Um, so when we, when we partner with an organization, we either sandwich it on one side or the other with that persuasion and getting in front of people to make sure that, that workers or employees or staff members understand why that company invested in it and why it's important. So when we, when we go into an organization, whether it's a hospital or a corporate campus or a school or university, we'll assess the facilities. We'll have that collaborative consultative sale process. And then on the backside of that, we provide them the, with the knowledge to back the tools and that knowledge comes from us getting in front of as many people as we can and explaining to them, here's what you now have, here's why it matters, and here's why you really should care that your organization decided to invest in this. Absolutely. And, you know, first of all, before we go any further, I got to talk about Steve because I've had Steve on the show um, a couple times. And, and you want to talk about somebody who's passionate 
about preparedness. Um, you can't get anybody more passionate about the system and how to make it work than Steve. And his and his personal story is amazing uh, from when he was over uh, in the tsunami-impacted zone uh, yeah. in, in, in Sri Lanka and whatnot. And it was just an amazing story. So Steve is that guy who you, you definitely want. If, you, if anybody's looking for a speaker, by the way, Steve's, a, Steve's an awesome person to hear. Absolutely. No, he's, he's been a great addition to the team. And I've um, not only love working with him, I'm, I'm learning so much from him. You know, I, I'm not an emergency manager by background. Um, I think as a combat veteran, you probably do have a, a little bit of that, that mindset of preparedness, obviously. Um, but it's not, it's not the industry that I grew up in. So I'm, I'm learning a lot from him and I'm learning a lot from, you know, the marketing dollars that the company has spent over a span of, of 15 years and what it means to actually get people to, to start caring about it and what that, what that moment is to, to get it to click in their mind and start thinking about what, what steps need to be taken in order to feel like their organization or their household is prepared. So Charles, one of the things that has been a frustration in my career, right, and I've been doing this for a long time, um, is reaching out to the community and having them take preparedness seriously. And so there was a study done a while ago, and it said like the preparedness, people who self-identified as being prepared was somewhere around 10%. And they didn't really dive deeper into um, what's it meant. So does it mean like you bought that 72-hour Coast Guard food and oil water kit and you say, okay, I'm prepared now? Or is it, you know, go to the other extreme? Um, is it like those doomsday preppers who have a bunker buried in their backyard with, you know, 17 years worth of dried goods? Uh, you know, what's that extreme? What does it mean to be prepared to you? And then how do we really encourage our residents and the communities to follow suit? Uh, that's a very good question as well. Um, to me and to, to our organization and what we like to preach is that preparedness is a mindset, right? And this is, this is coming from someone who makes a living off of selling emergency kits and supplies and equipment. But at the end of the day, the most important thing we do is, is providing that moment of clarity for someone to understand what it really does mean to be prepared, because it doesn't just mean you're buying a 72-hour kit for your household. Um, preparedness is an emotional journey. You, you kind of have that initial worry and anxiety. Everyone has that in the back of their mind based on the threats that they face in the area that they live. You could live in a earthquake zone or hurricane world or a tornado area. And you know, everyone in the back of their mind has, always says, you know, those things happen here, but it doesn't happen to me. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's that emotional journey of, okay, if you start taking those small steps like purchasing a kit and then start taking more of those steps like putting together an emergency plan, putting together an, an evacuation plan, a contingency plan, a communication plan, all of those are points of the process and working with us, whether you are an individual or whether you are an organization as well. And I think that it provides that peace of mind at the end of the day. You go through that emotional journey just so that you can get to the end point of having that peace of mind. And whether you have all of the, the, you know, the, the pieces of equipment or supplies that, that you, us three, would probably say everyone needs, whether you have all of that or not, at the end of the day, for me, it's do you know what you really need to do in order to feel prepared and have that peace of mind? That's the most important step. Absolutely. I think the, I mean, that, the, that is uh, beautifully said, the mindset, you know, because you never know it, it, what it's going to be. And we've been saying this since, you know, the beginning of this year of COVID, you know, you, 
But also, you know, you got the, the COVID and everybody's saying, well, are we ready to stay home? Are we ready to stay home? But what if it, what if you have to leave your home? And yep. and the, having that mindset, but also just having having thought through the process of what if this happens? What if that happens? And you're m- much more likely to be prepared just in the in your mind to know that it could potentially happen happen to you. And we're hoping since COVID that 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 uh, the famous phrase that that's never going to happen here um, w- will kind of fade away. Who knows? Because you know we have a, a very short memory. But what type of training? Uh, does your organization um, go through um, and provide to others to help build that mindset? Yeah. So our, our training arm is growing. Um, we, Steve Eberlein really is the biggest piece of that right now. And that is uh, getting in front of as many people as he can at, a, at an organization to get them to start thinking about preparedness. Now on, on the med sled side, that's a huge piece of what we do. So we go into, we go into hospitals we assess their facilities. We look at their evacuation plans. We understand what their non-ambulatory rates are. We understand what their average daily census is. And we're working with the nurse managers and the staff members. And then we come in and actually do a lot of training on the products. So moving non-ambulatory patients is, is core to what we do on that side of the business. And it's a big piece of our, our organizational preparedness arm. So training is, is, is very core to the business that really all of this started from, and that was MedSled. And now it has grown into a larger, a larger product offering, including emergency kits and supplies. And as we start working with more and more large organizations across the country, that training arm is just going to continue to, to grow. But Steve is, is really a big piece of that right now and making sure that his message is getting out there and we're understanding what type of training customers need. You know, the, the best part of what we do is working with emergency managers. You know, I, I think coming from, for me, coming from the military, and being able to work with such a mission-focused function and role in an organization, emergency managers are the absolute best. and They, they don't get the credit they deserve. My hope is that this year changes that a little bit. But um, you know, as we continue to work with them at, at large and small organizations, it's learning what kind of training they really feel like they need support on and us figuring out how we can support them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm chuckling a little bit because the idea of uh, – of- We've been talking about like how do we get people to understand what emergency management really is and what we do um, has been a, a theme of of the field for for a few years now and and maybe we will get people understanding what exactly emergency managers do um, yeah. after COVID. Um, hey, yeah, for for anyone who didn't listen to the episode a couple episodes ago with Lorraine Schneider, she does a great job speaking about that. She she really has her finger on the pulse on why why that role is important. And she was just really well-spoken. So I loved that episode. Oh, she's amazing by the way. And if you guys have not heard that, um, please you know, go back and take a listen to what Lorraine has to say, because she has a really uh, great understanding. She's, she is the rising star in emergency management for sure. Hey, we'll, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, um, I want to talk a little bit more about what you guys are doing over at Ethos. Great. The Outer Limit Supply Company was founded on the idea of providing high-quality first aid kits. Their goal is to supply the life-saving equipment you'll need to mitigate the majority of medical or traumatic injuries often seen during austere conditions. Whether it is when you are on the outdoor adventure or your team has responded to a major crisis, the Outer Limit Supply Company provides practical, user-friendly first aid and trauma kits that anyone can use. 
If you enter EM Weekly at checkout, you'll receive 20% off your purchase. So go to www.outerlimitsupply.com today. Are you looking for that bag to help you keep organized as you travel around? Something you could carry with you every day? Well, VanQuest was founded with a simple mission. Build the toughest bags and packs for you to carry every day and to help you stay organized and prepared. VanQuest has been making the ultra-durable bags and packs since 2011, and their bags and packs are trusted by the clients such as the FBI, U.S. Secret Service, and U.S. SOCOM. Yes, that is the U.S. Special Operations Command. Their bags and packs offer the best organization for the user-friendly experience, such as the high-visibility interior for the users. I'm telling you something, I love that orange inside the bag because I can find the things I need quickly. I love my VanQuest bag. Don't forget, they offer free shipping, 100-day return guarantee, and a lifetime warranty. And if you put in EM Weekly, all caps, all one word, you get 10% off your total purchase. VanQuest.com. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed mesh networking, allowing emergency communication, even when networks are down, augmented reality, and real-time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive. And welcome back from that quick break. And thank you so much for listening to our sponsors. And please reach out to them and let them know that you heard them here on EM Weekly. You know, and, and utilize that discount code, right? I mean, who doesn't want to save 20% off their gear, right? I do, at least. I, I you know, so... Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. All right, Dan, what do you got going on? Well, you know, I wanted to, um, you know, the the important aspect of this is, it, as you had mentioned several times, is, you know, you're including emergency managers, working with emergency managers in organizations. How closely, um, you know, do you, do you have emergency managers working for you? And how closely um, are you guys working with the emergency managers that when you guys are going out and implementing your services? Yeah, yeah. So we don't have any... Um, em- we don't have anyone with the title emergency manager on our team, but what our, our regional managers do is they partner with emergency managers at, at hospitals or healthcare facilities or large corporations or schools and universities. And we work with them directly on their goals, whether that be evacuation equipment and needs or emergency kits and supply needs or, you know, the, the training and engagement arm that we're now starting to continue to grow. Uh, but those partnerships are important. And I say partnership because it really is a it's a collaboration. It's a it's a consultative conversation where we learn what their needs are and we help provide them what they may need. And it's funny that you just bring up the holidays. So one of the things we're doing with a lot of large organizations right now is providing them a holiday discount code so they can provide to to their employees. So many people are working from home right now. And a lot of org- organizations are, are making it important to try and get their families prepared on the home front. So providing that discount code has been solid for us, and it's a great way for people to be thinking about preparedness on the home front as opposed to just thinking about it uh, when you're working in, in the office. But our main point of contact when we go out, it depends if it's a corporation or if it's a healthcare facility, um, but most organizations have, have people with titles along the lines of uh, emergency preparedness director or coordinator, um, workplace resilience director, business continuity or resilience so anyone with that type of title is who we are working with. And we're, we, we look at the plans that they have, whether it's, uh, you know, a, a very formal 
OSHA-driven emergency action plan or whether they're following CMS and, um, and Joint Commission preparedness rules. So we, we work with them on those and make sure that they are following them to a T and then we help them where we can with the, uh, the products and services that we have. Yeah, I mean, talking about following those, those rules and regulations that are laid out there, and that's one thing that we do not have um, nationally in most states. I can't say every state. I, I can't. I don't know all 50 states' laws. But there's no necessary rule or law that states that you have to have your, your, your employees prepared. And I just did a piece on this uh, on another organization, for another uh, podcast I do called Business Continuity Today, talking about preparing your, your organization and preparing your students. Or your students, I teach as well, so sorry. Preparing your employees, you should prepare your students too, for that matter, right? And and having you know drills and exercises, and you know Amanda Ripley uh, writes in her book The Unthinkable, um, and I always butcher his name, uh, Richard Scolarly. I think it's how you say it. How do I say it, Dan? Am I saying it right? Am I close? The, the guy who, close enough. yeah, the guy Rick who uh, was that. Rick Riscarlo, right? Yeah, yep. yeah. So I, I, I was saying the other day, I said, I, when I, when I, when I die and go to heaven, I'm going to have to go apologize to him for butchering his name all these years. But he, he was credited with saving 2,700 people uh, from the twin towers during 9/11 because of his tenacity of drilling his employees and making sure that they were prepared for that day. You know, and. And, and then as he saw, he saw the right on the wall that this was going to be a, a target and he did it. And, and, you know, he's a hero. He truly is a hero and, and somebody who does this, you know, and so, you know, preparing your employees is key. And I think an organization like yours partnering with somebody like you, because there's, there's also another joke, right? And the person who is the most um, knowledgeable person is the one who came from the furthest distance. And so sometimes that emergency manager or that business continuity manager inside an organization, sometimes their message falls on deaf ears because there's the familiarization with them. But when bringing in someone, say, like Charles into the organization or especially Steven coming in, and all of a sudden everybody's like, oh, yeah, we need to be prepared. And you're like, gosh, I've been saying this for months. But you know, bringing the outside agency in sometimes helps sell that message. What do you think of that, Charles? Yeah, I think, that, I think that's absolutely right. And to, to layer on to it a little bit, um, we have, a, a our director of brand and partnerships his name is Skylar Hallgren. He was one of the uh, founders of Red Fora. He calls it the Goldilocks moment. So typically in, in the emergency kits and supplies world, especially for consumers, you'll see a spike in sales after an earthquake or after a tornado or after a large event. That is that Goldilocks moment. And we, we make it a common conversation around our offices. How do we create that, that Goldilocks moment or that emotional moment without it having to be a massive disaster? Mm -hmm. So how do we get people to start thinking about it when there hasn't been an earthquake recently or there hasn't been a COVID-19 recently? Um, it's using historical data, right? There's, look at the last 20 years. Emergencies are on the rise in every way, shape, and form. And utilizing that data is just going to get people to start listening a little more intently to the messaging we have. I mean, we've seen the Superstorm Sandy come in and rip across the, uh, you know, major metropolitan areas such as New York City. Um, yeah. and, I, and I remember watching videos of people um, eating um, out of a dumpster uh, because they didn't have food ready to go and they didn't have power to cook and things like this. And, and this is like in a metropolitan area where, you know, most of these people that live in New York City um, in the area that they're showing aren't necessarily poor you know they live in these skyrise apartments and and now they're they're 
you know, put down to the fact that they're eating out of a trash can or dumpster. Um, you know, and it just shows that if they just had a little bit of preparedness mindset that they could have survived okay, you know, until the power came back on. So um, it's not just those that are living in earthquake country or like in where Charles lives in the tornado alley, you know, and the, and, and that kind of stuff. It's, it's It can happen anywhere. That's the point about that. Yeah, that's right. It, it's Superstorm Sandy is an interesting, uh, interesting one for us because we talk about it a lot. That was the storm where if you remember, NYU Langone's hospital had to be evacuated. And I think we had upwards of 300 patients taken out on med sleds. And uh, to this day, I still keep in contact with Kristen Stevens. She was the uh, the emergency manager at the time there. Um, big fan of med sleds, obviously. It, it allowed them to accomplish the mission and getting some of their non-ambulatory patients out of a 17-story building. So it, it, that's a perfect example of one where not only was were, were hospitals maybe unprepared or unready for it, but uh, the, down to the consumer level. So you, you really struck a chord bringing that one up. So, you know, you, you, you mentioned it. It's, it's the, the, the Goldilocks moment. That's the first time I've heard that, by the way. Um, uh, it's, and it's a good, it's a good uh, um, analogy. But how do, we, how do we make that where it's more consistent? Because that's what, we're, that's what I feel uh, not only preparedness, but anything to deal with emergency management. Uh, mitigation, prevention—you know—all that we don't—we're not consistent. We're not consistently in front of people, keeping that, keeping that in their mind. Like I said earlier, we have a, a short-term memory. Um, you know, we 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 tend to want to forget the bad things. Um, and so, how do we, in your opinion, because I mean this is opinion at this point, um, keep that message consistent with those that need to be prepared? We all need to be prepared at all times for whatever may come next. Uh, so how, how do we, how do we, in your opinion, be consistent in our messaging to keep it in front of people to, so that memory does not lapse? Yeah. So let me ask both of you guys this. Who, who in an organization, so you have the emergency manager, right? But who in the organization is usually making decisions? It's going to be your CEO With, or directors. Yep. How does a CEO typically make decisions? Based on money based on money and they're only going to spend money if they have data and metrics and analytics in front of them. And that, that is the key to that answer, Dan. I think if, if emergency managers are armed with data and metrics and analytics that they are comfortable putting in front of leadership and organizations, it's always going to keep it at the forefront of their mind. And if it's at the forefront of leadership's mind, it's going to trickle down through the organization. I think a a perfect industry uh, to, to discuss this about is, is the construction, manufacturing, um, safety. If you go to any big construction company, safety is the very first thing you'll see on their website, that that is their number one priority. Why is that not the number one priority for every single type of organization? Every organization's goal should be that employees go home the same way they came in that day. And that is said over and over in construction companies. And I think, I think we get that. We get that in the tech industry. We get that in other big industries that are important by providing that data and those metrics and those analytics to leadership to prove that there is an ROI by being prepared. Absolutely. And, and we say this all the time that for every dollar that you spend, you know, on preparedness, you're going to save seven uh, on the other side of it. So, I mean, the, the information's there. It's, it makes sense. You know, I mean, if you live in, you know, if you live in Florida, for instance, because they seem to get hit by hurricanes all the time. <laughs> You know, you go out and you have plywood sitting someplace on your property so you can board up your windows because you know that 
when you go to buy the plywood the day the, or the week the hurricanes come in, the prices go up. You know, so it's a cost savings and it makes sense. You're going to have to use it anyway, and it's going to happen a couple times a year that you're going to need to put that plywood in. So, I mean, and same thing. So if you go with your preparedness type mindset of having that preparedness kit underneath the desk of your employees, right, because we teach them here in California to drop cover and hold on during an earthquake, and I guess the same thing would be in Oregon and Washington where we have, you know, earthquakes on a regular basis. Why don't we tell them to put their disaster kit under their desk where that's probably where they're going to need it, right? You know, and I think every desk in California should have a disaster kit underneath it. I've been saying this for years, you know, and, uh, but again, I, I know Robert says here, says, uh, being in a, a consultant or bringing in a consultant is always gets people to pay attention when people in the organization have been saying it for years. You're absolutely right, Robert. And I think that's why partnering with somebody like ethos, especially ethos, because I mean, not because Charles is here, but I, I got to tell him about that. But I just love the fact that you give back to the community as well. Now, I have one more question for you on the ethics side of things, right? Sure. And uh, I, too, have loved philosophy. I've always wanted to name my dogs. Uh, my, my wife won't let me do it. But I want to name – I want to get two dogs the same. And I want to name Ethos and Logos because that's just something I've always wanted to do. She thinks I'm crazy. She won't let, let it happen. But is Ethos part of your being? Yes. And I, I think that stems from um, the early stage of my career being in uniform. You know, I, for, at 17 years old, I, I went off to West Point. I was in uniform for the first decade of my professional life. And so if you look at the, the actual definition of ethos, you, you mentioned one earlier, but another definition of it is the, the spiritual characteristic of a, of a community or an organization. And I think having having an organization or a team around you where you're able to build an ethos around it, I think that's huge. You know, when you're in the military, people always say when you get out of the military, you're never going to find that brotherhood or sisterhood again. There's some truth to that. But one of my life goals is to always have that around me. And, and that's what we're doing at our organization here is we, we genuinely talk about inspiring preparedness to save lives on a daily basis. And when we're when we're partnering with really important and large organizations or communities or schools or hospitals, that that conversation becomes that more important because at the end of the day, people work with us because they want to take more care of their people. So in turn, those people become our people. Um, and it's, it's it's really fun, you know. It's such a rewarding industry to be in. We get to work with incredible people, and my hope is that that ethos eventually becomes synonymous with preparedness, and that people really think of us as a, a good go to arm when they're thinking about getting their organization or family prepared. Absolutely. So, so, so uh, we're, we're going to wrap up now, but I'm going to give you the last, the last word, last question. So the last question is how do people contact you? How do they find you and how do they reach out to your organization for help? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we about four or five months ago launched our new website. It's uh, simply www.ethospreparedness.com. And that can just, that can send you to either one of our divisions, the organizational side or the personal side. And uh, would love to hear from you. You can find contact forms on the website. Uh, would love to hear from your organization and see how we can work with you to see, uh, you know, what what your needs are and uh, what what level of preparedness you feel like getting you and your employees and teams to. Well, Charles, thank you so much for your time today. I do have to say one last thing to you: Go Navy, beat Army, and uh, we'll see you at the uh, <laughs> we'll see you at the at the Army Navy game. I did not see that coming, to be honest with you, but uh, I'll take it in stride. 
this year's game is uh, going to be at West Point for the first time in a very, very long time just due to COVID. So it'll be a special game, I think, for both teams. It's pretty Absolutely. interesting that it's going to be at one of the academies. Yeah, I love West Point, by the way. I grew up near there. So. <laughs>